You are listening to the Already Gone Podcast, sharing stories of the missing, the murdered, the mysterious, and the lost. When you were in school, did your teachers tell you that you could be whatever you wanted to be when you grew up? A scientist or a lawyer, an astronaut or a judge or a doctor, or perhaps one day even the president? That one of the great things about our country is that anyone can ascend to the White House? I suspect that Ralph Dean Templeton, or Dean as he was known to friends, likely heard that. You know, the story that with hard work, honesty, and determination, anyone can ascend to the White House. Maybe he heard it at school, or perhaps from his parents. Whatever the case, Templeton believed it was true. It wasn't too long after he turned 40, and just a few weeks after the passing of his 63-year-old father, that he decided it was possible, that he could hold the highest office in the land, that his ideas and his ideals were what our country needed. Templeton decided that he, a father, a factory worker, a regular guy from the suburbs of Flint, Michigan, could be president. He just needed to get the word out, to let people know that there was another option. A guy just like them, just like you and me. This guy could lead our country in the right direction. So come with me to the earliest days of the 1970s, when Richard Nixon held the White House, and he was challenged for that seat by many men, including South Dakota Senator George McGovern and 41-year-old Dean Templeton. Templeton grew up near Flint, Michigan. This was in the 40s and 50s, when Flint was in its heyday, a bustling, prosperous city on the river. He was one of five kids. There were three boys— Dean, Gordon, and Douglas, and two girls, Doris and Dolores. Douglas, Dean Templeton's younger brother, was killed during the Korean conflict in November of 1950. Until his decision to seek the presidency, Templeton lived an unremarkable life. It appears that he was married, had a child, he made a living by working at a factory or doing construction work and in 1971, he decided that enough was enough. Templeton spread the word about his candidacy by writing letters to editors of the newspaper, such as the Tennessean, the Des Moines Register, the Honolulu Advertiser, and the Sarasota Herald Tribune. In a September 13, 1972 interview with the press, he states, quote, I warned Richard Nixon four years ago, in 1968 that if he didn't end the war, I was running against him. Well, Nixon hadn't ended the war in Vietnam, and Templeton demanded a change. He wanted to be the 38th president of the United States, so Templeton set out to share his story, his plan for the nation. Templeton relocated from Michigan to Denver, Colorado, and sought to register as an independent when the state declined, Templeton continued traveling west where he could register and move his plan forward. While his birth name was Ralph Dean Templeton, it appears that he was known as Dean, and his letters to the editor were signed Dean Templeton. That's the name he used while campaigning. 
Templeton sometimes listed Hazel Park, Michigan as his hometown. Other times he listed Royal Oak, Michigan. And I found this odd because these are neighboring communities in the eastern part of Oakland County. But I can't find anything to show that Templeton ever lived in either of these locations. Everything that I've discovered about him shows him living in or near the Flint area, about 50 miles north of southeast Oakland County. Templeton's name comes up time and again as reporters across the country discuss the variety of people who have thrown their hat into the presidential ring for the 72 elections. News stories of the time usually list Templeton as living in Seattle, Washington, although it appears that Templeton was, by his own admission, hitchhiking cross-country in an attempt to gain votes. He would take day jobs one day picking apples, another day working a construction site, and he'd use those funds to finance his campaign and his travels. Templeton would stay in a location for a few days, then stick out his thumb and move on. Each person who offered him a ride heard his story, his plans for the United States, his goal of being elected president. Templeton carried a sheaf of papers with his platform and goals laid out, handouts that he could share hoping to lure voters in his direction. And I admit, I was very curious about Templeton's plans for the country. What were his platform and goals for our nation? Based on news stories and letters, his platform appears to have included the following. 1. Build a bridge across the Bering Sea linking Alaska to Russia, connecting the two nations and allowing car travel between the U.S., Canada, Asia, and Europe. Move the government out of Washington, D.C. and into a more central location, such as Nebraska, making politicians more accessible to the people. Create a transplant hospital so more Americans can benefit from life-saving organ transplants, and those who wish to donate their organs can do so more easily. Bring more housewives and homemakers into political discussions. Templeton called women the largest workforce in America and felt their input and decisions were important to the success of the country. Templeton wanted to get rid of our armed forces, except for the Coast Guard. He saw the Coast Guard as our nation's first line of defense. He wanted to immediately end U.S. involvement in Vietnam and give retirees a check for $5,000 instead of a gold watch in recognition of their hard work. Well, by Templeton's own admission, people viewed him as, quote, a nut. But they listened and often agreed with many of his ideas. A woman in Florida gave him $100, which was a large sum of money in 1970, and wished him success with the campaign. When the Democratic National Convention was held in Miami in July of 72, Templeton was there, pitching his ideas and asking for votes. Of course, we know now that the nomination went to George McGovern, and that McGovern would be soundly defeated by the incumbent Richard Nixon. But this loss did not deter Templeton. He stuck out his thumb to hitch a ride out of Miami and continue his journey toward the White House, this time thinking of the presidential election in 1976. But 
There won't be another convention for Templeton. He won't live to see Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter square off on the ballot. Because 44-year-old Ralph Dean Templeton was murdered in January of 1975, shot in the head at close range by an unknown assailant. Templeton's body was discovered in a ditch on the side of the road near Ellensburg, Washington, on March 4, 1975. Two bullet holes in his skull made it clear to law enforcement that this was a homicide. The body was recovered without ID and brought to the pathologist as a John Doe. Within a week, he was identified. His name, Dean, was tattooed on his right shoulder, and I imagine that that helped him regain his identity. The Templeton family, reduced now with the recent passing of their parents, Ralph in 1970 and Olive in 1972, to one brother and two sisters, made arrangements for him to return to Michigan and be buried at West Deerfield Cemetery, in a grave near his parents and his younger brother. Templeton's dreams of the presidency and his travels back and forth across the country now concluded. He was back in Michigan, with only his grave marker to tell the story. When I'm not writing about crime, I enjoy reading about cases, particularly old, cold, unsolved cases. I try to read through the Unresolved Mysteries subreddit a few times a week. It was on this subreddit that I came across the Templeton case. Learning that he was originally from Michigan piqued my interest. Seeing a photo of his headstone made it impossible for me to disregard his story. You can view his headstone. I've got a picture posted on our website at www.alreadygonepodcast.com. But I will read the inscription to you. Ralph Dean Templeton, January 18th, 1931 to January 25th, 1975 assassinated while campaigning for the nomination to the presidency of the United States. In researching his story, I was not able to find much about Templeton, even though he's mentioned repeatedly in newspaper coverage of the presidential election of 1972. Templeton wrote numerous letters to the editor at papers all over the country, but there isn't much about him, the person he was before he chucked it all, leaving Michigan behind to campaign full-time for the presidency. There isn't much to explain what led him to live near Seattle, or who would be angry enough or cruel enough to shoot him twice in the head at close range, and then leave his body on the side of a rural road in Washington. I requested records on his case from the Sheriff's Department, but in the almost 45 years since his death, much of the file is gone, lost or mislaid. The only information available pertains to his autopsy. I read the coroner's reports. They use terms like shock, hemorrhage, wound tract, and reveal that the pathologist hoped to recover bullet fragments to determine what kind of weapon ended Templeton's life. Templeton was shot twice, one bullet entering his head near the left eye and traveling in a downward trajectory to lodge at the base of his skull the other entering through his left temple and coming to rest below the right ear. Independently, each wound was incapacitating and a fatal blow. The two wounds together meant that Templeton lived for only a few minutes after he was shot.
In 2011, Kittitas County Sheriff's Detective Andrea Bloom spoke with Gary Gould, a reporter at the County Press, a newspaper serving Lapeer County, Michigan, about Templeton's case. Bloom was hoping to connect with Templeton's family members as his personal items were still in the evidence room at the Kittitas County Sheriff's Department. When I decided to write about Templeton, I called the detective. She told me the case remains open and unsolved, and that Templeton's belongings are at the department, waiting to be claimed. While Templeton's body was claimed from the morgue once it was identified and he was brought back to Michigan for burial, his personal items were still there. I recently provided Detective Bloom with the names of Templeton's surviving siblings, Dolores and Gordon. Remember, Douglas died in 1950, and Doris, Templeton's older sister, passed away in 2009. Just a few weeks ago, I provided Detective Bloom with the names of Templeton's surviving siblings, Dolores and Gordon. Remember, Douglas died in 1950, and Doris, Templeton's older sister, passed in 2009. When I look at Templeton's campaign promises... I imagine that losing his brother in the Korean conflict helped to form his anti-war stance. But to abandon everything he knew and live as a drifter, relying on rides from strangers and working odd jobs to keep himself housed and fed, it seems a strange way to go about achieving his goals. Based on the little bits and pieces I've learned from reading about him, Templeton felt passionately about what he was doing, and it's likely that he enjoyed it meeting new people, traveling all over the country, and sharing his plans with others. Templeton is buried in the West Deerfield Cemetery in Lapeer County, Michigan. His grave is near the graves of his parents, Ralph and Olive. His younger brother, Douglas, is buried nearby. I would like to thank the hardworking researchers at the Genesee District Library for helping me compile this story. While most of the information available online comes from national newspapers and Gary Gould's December 2011 article on the case, they were happy to scour their files for additional information on the life of Ralph Dean Templeton. If you have information on his murder, please contact Detective Bloom at the Kittitas County Sheriff's Department. Already Gone is a true crime podcast focused on cases from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. If you would like more information on the topics discussed here, including a look at some of our sources, visit our website at www.alreadygonepodcast.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlreadyGonePod or on Facebook. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, email me, host at alreadygonepodcast.com. Stay tuned after the close for a preview from our friends at True Crime Sweden. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind the Already Gone podcast. Thank you for listening, and please, be safe.
Hi, this is Pernilla from the True Crime Sweden podcast. If you thought Sweden was all about IKEA and Swedish meatballs, you are in for a big surprise. We do have our fair share of crimes in Sweden too, and I'm here to tell you all about them. I bring up all sorts of true crime cases, and by listening, you get to learn a little bit about how the legal system works in another country. For example, I did an episode about the case that created the Stockholm Syndrome. You've probably heard about the Stockholm Syndrome, but do you know the case behind it? Well, besides talking about true crime, I end each episode with a little fun fact about Sweden, something that is really appreciated by my listeners. And maybe I should add that my podcast is of course in English. If you think this sounds interesting, Give it a try by searching for True Crime Sweden on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast at. I hope to see you.